This episode is a sponsored partnership by Keen. So, you finally decided that you want to seek psychic advice. But now you're just sitting there and you're asking yourself, why Keen? Shouldn't I just look into psychics near me? It would probably be a lot easier. Our response? Why would you? Keen connects you with talented tarot readers and astrologers. If you want to get a reading on Keen, it's super easy to start. They've been giving trustworthy readings since 1999, over 35 million to be exact. All you have to do is create an account, and you'll be able to choose from hundreds of readers who are online right now. These readers each have unique specialties designed to provide a deeper understanding of your situation. Want to learn more about your love life? What's your financial future look like? Are you looking for a closure from a deceased loved one? Keen has a reader ready to provide clarity and insight. You can choose whichever reader best suits your needs, and you'll be able to connect via phone call or text. Just go to trykeen.com potential. As a new customer on Keen, you can try your first 10 minutes for only $1.99, which is up to $99 in savings. Once again, that's trykeen.com potential. Get your first 10 minutes for $1.99. And remember, know your potential. Hey, Potential Podcast listeners, let's talk about today's sponsor, Let's Get Checked. Let's Get Checked makes professional health testing easy by letting you get tested without having to visit a healthcare provider. You can order a testing kit that will be delivered to you in discreet packaging. Once your sample arrives in the laboratory, confidential results will be available from your secure online account within two to five days. These results are reviewed by a clinician and a member of the Let's Get Checked nursing team may call you to review your results. And Let's Get Checked laboratories are CLIA approved and CAP accredited, which are the highest ranking levels of accreditation. So, if you want to avoid an uncomfortable office visit or prefer the convenience and get tested at home, visit trylgc.com potential and get 25% off your test using code POTENTIAL25. Once again, that's 25% off your test by going to trylgc.com slash potential using the promo code POTENTIAL25. Take charge of your physical health and well-being and let's get checked. Talking all things entertainment, pop culture, and nerdum. This is The Potential Podcast. Hello everybody, welcome back to another edition of The Potential Podcast. As always, Taylor Sokol here, your host, joined by Chris Dewar. Very exciting stuff. Here we are kicking off the first week of November. I tell you, this year's flying by, and we know that 2020 wasn't so great. 2020 is getting a little bit better, but 2022, sorry, 2022, yes, is upon us before you know it. But, uh, you know, I said 2021 has been, you know, not as great. It's actually been pretty great uh, for multiple reasons. Um, we don't have a whole episode to talk about that, but some exciting stuff, you know, just happened for one of your co-hosts here. It's still, uh, sorry, ladies. 
He is off the market. Chris Dewar is engaged. What? Woo! Yes. What? I proposed. And she said yes. And she said, of course. Yeah. She didn't say yes. She said, of course, as if there was uh, no other option. Um, <laughs> as in, <laughs> it was destiny. But yes, uh, very, very happy. It was uh, it was awesome. And it was all Halloween themed. We, we, we really got together because of Halloween. We matched on an app due to uh, Halloween. So did a Halloween themed proposal. It went great. And it was awesome. So yes, happily engaged. Just exciting, exciting. So uh, as we get into this month of November, where we remember to be thankful, I'm thankful to have a partner like Megan. And I'm excited for uh, all the wedding planning, which will, you know, be down the line. We're going to take some time to just relax and enjoy the rest of the holidays. Yeah, but we'll probably have an old episode talking about weddings and movies and stuff. And that'll be, you know, we'll, we'll be. Hey, we'll, that's actually a great episode because there's so many movies and TV that have these giant, you know, weddings and also there's a lot of movies just based around just weddings. You know, you got Bride Wars and all that kind of stuff. So we'll get to that down the line, but that's not what we're here to talk about today. No, 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 Taylor. You know, we just had October, October where we love our spooky season. And it always feels weird because November is still part of fall. We don't get to winter officially till December 21st, but it always feels like we instantly hit November 1st and people play Christmas music. It's Christmas time. I, I don't I don't subscribe no, to that. We're not personally. we're not there yet. We're not there yet. I'm like let's wait till at least December. But I know people do. Or, but or at least wait till like Black Friday. Then when we shop, that makes sense. Okay, Thanksgiving's over. Yeah. We thought okay, we're, we're, how do we how do we ease out of the spooky season into some more of the just fall season? And we came up with a great solution. We decided today we're going to talk about a th- you know this trilogy of films that. Although they are not a trilogy in the sense that they all match and have the same characters. It's an anthology series. It's got a little bit of horror, a little bit of action, and a little bit of sci-fi. So a perfect mix. And lots of comedy. And a whole lot of comedy that we love. So today we're talking about what is known as the Three Flavors Cornetto Trilogy. If you don't know what that means, well, if you've ever seen Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, and or, I guess if you've only seen one or two of them, The World's End. Those three films, which are all different films, they have different characters, but they have a lot of the same cast, and it's the same writing team slash director. You have Edgar Wright and Simon Pegg, who wrote all three, and Edgar Wright, of course, with his incredible, quick-paced, uh, amazing direction. This is a trilogy because of the connected tissue of some of the themes, and, of course, the Cornetto ice cream itself, which... Um, Actually, do we have Cornetto at all in the States? I don't know if I've ever really seen that. Ice I think cream our version would be good humor. I think that was our. Okay, that's our yeah. Cornetto. So that's Chris, you and the I good, are going to make the good humor trilogy. Good, it, it works on And it better have good humor. Yeah. <laughs> it better have good humor in there. So let's start off, Taylor, with what for, for some really do uh, define this as one of the best parody zombie films uh just an incredible zombie film itself it, it does have a couple of scare moments in it but shot of the dead which came out in 2004 of course a kind of play on dawn of the dead for those who've seen the uh, great romero uh, creepy you know zombie film but what what do you remember the first time you saw shot of the dead i mean gosh 2004 i don't feel like i saw this in film i feel like this was coming in right as i was kind of getting to the prime of high school, I feel like this would have been a film I would have watched 
like at the high school party or something, or maybe early into college. It's funny. I didn't see this at all during high school. I may have knew, known about this, but referenced in our last episode, again, I wasn't into horror movies. I think I first kind of started getting to zombies or zombie lore right around when Walking Dead came out. And that's when I started kind of like, okay, what what is out there? So I would have seen this uh, my freshman year of college, 2008. So four years after it came out when it was on DVD. And my roommates introduced me to this. Oh, I got to see this Shaun of the Dead film. And I was like, oh, is it scary? He's like, no, no, it's funny. And I really loved this movie. I think something about the humor, I got the references. Um, I just like how it's quick-witted, it was smart, it was intelligent, but it played out so many different themes, which is really great because some have said, as you you know, talking about it, it's kind of a parody, some have considered it one of the best zombie movies on its own merits. But really, it is a rom-com in the you know zombie apocalypse, so they've self-dubbed it a rom-zom-com. Uh, <laughs> and uh, it's just something about this movie was so great that it's the re- replayability, like going back and watching it. But I really fell in love with this movie when I first saw it. Oh, it's brilliant. It, it, it's brilliant. It gives you that zombie movie that you want because it does follow like what a zombie movie would be like. But it's the hilarious notion that they're like, you're following these two idiots who <laughs> don't have a lot of high aspirations. Sean, played by Simon Pegg, is working at essentially like a, like a mini... Like a radio it's shack, like a, or best buy. like a radio shack, Best Buy, but it's like real small. And of course, all the uh, all the other workers are like teenagers, and he's like the kind of you know early thirties guy still working there. And then you have Nick Frost, who is his roommate, who doesn't really do anything, just drinks all the time, and is yeah, very slacker, crass, slacker, stoner. Friend. So to have these two friends be the, the focal point of the of the film, and you're following them, and they, they don't really make the best decisions. And over the course of the film, you kind of see how they kind of take on more of a heroic side, which is something that I think is a theme you'll see in all three films, is how uh, playing with the tropes of what these films represent, playing with the idea of humanity, a lot of these films although it's a lot of funny and it's got great action and even some intense moments really playing in these like moments where it's like, wow, they're bringing up some like dark, deep material about humanity and like our fears and our connected tissue and how we like work in the society. So, but it's funny that these two are like, they're really like these numbskulls and the idea that Sean is someone that he's kind of having a, a bit of a, you know, he's in a, a not so good situation with his current love life. And that plays a lot to the film. And even with his mom and his stepdad, who's played by Bill Nye, who is so funny in this film. Uh, it's just, it's like a great mix of, all right, slowly but surely you start to notice the zombie invasion is happening, but it's not to the point of, where like zombie films that we are used to where they they start to attack and it gets really scary and creepy the humor kicks in right away once the zombies start to happen you know this brilliant scene of him you know they do a, a opening shot of him going to the little you know convenience, convenience store, store yeah, yeah. and then like the next day he does it and he like slips on the blood a little bit but yeah, he's completely oblivious to the chaos <laughs> around him because he's all hung over and he's just like <laughs> So, and it was just a very, it's a very, like that alone, the humor there, it's just, um, 
and we'll talk about this, um, but I just love that he's just completely oblivious until, like, a zombie's literally right in front of him. Even a zombie hobo uh, who's got his, like, little, like, he's got a leash where the dog used to be, and he's, like, uh, trying to get changed. Like, sorry, I, didn't ha I don't have a change. I spent it all over there. And, like, and just some of the reference early on the film, when, like, when like, this little kid with a, you know, a soccer ball, he points to him in the beginning, you're dead. And then later, <laughs> like, just some of these, like, callbacks, uh, even, like, his roommate when he's, like, uh, Ed's like, yeah, next time I see him, hope he's dead. And so a lot of these callbacks earlier in there, and you just see in the very beginning, like, he's kind of ignoring all the news things where, and they kind of, when the news, uh, you know, when he's flipping the channels, they splice to make kind of like, you know, severe attacks on, uh, you know, and so I just think the setup is so great because it does set that whole creepy element, the music itself, and the whole idea that, you know, people are so, like, almost zombies in the real life that if they would became, like, real fleshing zombies, would you notice or would you realize that? And these are these are the zombies that are slow, uh, you know. Classic they, Romero they, ones. Classic Romero zombies. They're not quick and they're just, you know, they have the creepy eyes and, you know, obviously they want to have flesh. And when they do, when they do find someone to eat, I mean, they it is very gory and gross, but... That's also something that is uh, hugely funny about these three films is they play up the gore factor in a very funny way. The first time you really notice it is they're noticing, they're starting to notice the zombies or, you know, something's going on, but they're not quite sure what it is. And there's even a moment in the movie where they don't want to say this Z word. They're like, yeah, do you want to like, really say zombie? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, don't say that word. <laughs> they have this, this girl is in the backyard and they think that she's just wasted they're like she's drunk <laughs> of course she's a zombie and they start coming towards her and they're like back off back off back off and then sean pushes her and she falls back on like a tetherball post or like something for a flagpole and her body goes straight into it and like goes right through her stomach and it's just like blood and they're like oh and, and she, gets she gets up like up nothing again. wrong and there's this big guy that comes around the corner. And then I still have the scene of them throwing these records and trying to. <laughs> and of course, a lot of the humor in this is how many times they throw things and none of it hits. Like they're just throwing the most inanimate objects. And the zombies and are coming hits. towards them and they're like just going through the records. Nope, not that one, not that one. Like there's like, oh, they're coming. But in like other movies, it's like, oh, dude, they're coming. What are you doing? Like yeah, this, like at that point, it's one of it's, the stupid it's decisions. Fly yeah. or flee. And they're like, wait, wait, what album is that? Oh, not that one. You know? Oh, the Batman Again. soundtrack? Sure, whatever. <laughs> but that's a big part of this film and the series. All, and something that Edgar Wright has kept on for a lot of his films is you have to really be paying attention because it's so, it's so quick. Um, he definitely is one that, I don't know if it's something that he was inspired to do by filmmakers before him, but he loves to do the quick pan, the quick shot of the like, you know, let's go to the pub, bomb, 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 bomb. It's like five images in a row. And then, you know, he does these quick, quick cuts and the dialogue is very quick. It's very witty. It's very fun. I think a lot of that is also Simon Pegg's influence. Um, and Nick Frost, you know, they've been this tag team that have done plenty of films, even outside of Edgar Wright as a director. And they're they're up there as a new, you know, lineup of, of you know, Abbott and Costello. I mean, Simon Pegg really being more of the straight man, getting some of those jokes in, and Nick Frost is the doofus with those great, uh, you know, coming in with the punchline or especially in this film, he there's actually a lot of stuff that he says in this film that I almost don't think you could get away with today as a white man. <laughs> like he, he says some very crass things and that's, that's really to set up how ridiculous he is as a character, 
which I do appreciate. But yeah, and and for being also, uh, you know, translating us being Americans and seeing these. British films, the humor translates very well. And I think like just like a simple thing when they're trying to get a hold of people, instead of like, you know, the phone's busy, we'd say, oh, it's busy, but they call it engaged. And he's like, I'm trying to list. Oh, she's engaged. She's like, oh, that was fast. Like just broke up. Like the kind of the innuendo and the play on words is just, it's very smart comedy that as a young American in college, I really picked up on that. And I think Edgar Wright was able to play as this kind of, this humor translated like all nations. And I think that was really very smartly done. There's a few other cast members in here that I have to bring up just because some are actually notable. I mean, obviously, it's a very British cast. Um, Kate Ashfield is Liz, who is Sean's girlfriend. We have Lucy Davis as Diane. And fun thing, fun fact about her, she's done a lot of stuff. But one of her notable roles in her career was she played Dawn on the British version of The Office, which is the Pam character from that. Yeah, Pam Beasley meet Dawn Tinsley. <laughs> Dawn Tinsley. Uh, you know, they had so much rhyme there, uh, which is funny because also, um, you know, blink and you miss it moment. Um, there's a great moment in this film where one crew is going one way of our tag team of heroes. And then another one pops up of this character that um, Sean keeps running into. And they're all dressed exactly the same, right? Yvonne, played by Jessica Stevenson. And Martin Freeman is one of uh, the group there. And that's actually who played Tim on The Office aka the Jim character Tim Jim they weren't as brilliant when they came to name me were they <laughs> we got Dylan Morin uh, who's a comedian he's been in plenty of stuff as well uh, playing David and then you got Penelope Wilton who is actually a dame who for many of you know her from her role of uh, Mrs. Crawley on Dunton Abbey which actually I hadn't seen Shaun the Dead in a while Rewatching it for this episode I was like oh my gosh because I've been watching Dunson Abbey months ago. I was like, there she is. As I mentioned, Bill Nye as uh, Philip. <laughs> so good. It's so fun to see him in comedies. You know, I feel like for a lot of American audiences, we've seen him in things like, you know, Pirates of the Caribbean and Underworld. But a lot of people, of course, recognize him from Love Actually. He's been in plenty of other things, but he's he's really funny in these films. And he's a mainstay. A lot of these, A lot of these actors will pop up again later in these films as well. But um, even Rafe Spall, who's done a ton of stuff, he's this has got to be one of his first film roles. He's one of the punks that works at like the Radio Shack. He looks so different. He's like huge. Like I think he lost a lot of weight as he aged and done a lot of stuff. But uh, and even Matt Lucas, uh, the brilliant Matt Lucas, British comedian, pops in as the other Ed of the team for quite a second here. But so as the film goes along, Taylor, we have these kind of like tropes that definitely follow zombie films, such as, for example, there's the moment where Philip, they, he thinks it's a zombie at some point, but then he does get bitten and like they're all jammed up in like the one car and they're like, oh, Philip's dead, you know, and, and like, I love there's that little bit of humanity where they, they bring up the tension that him and Philip never had a good relationship because obviously his father died when he was young so he kind of took over and he was already he's like in this kind of moment when they're in the car and he's about to die and he's like i just wanted you to look up to someone i thought that could be me you know you're already so grown up when i when i came into your life i've always loved you sean this brilliant humanity moment that then is followed immediately by he's dead he's gone like no he's not he's alive and then turn and he's ah <laughs> he's a zombie it's like 
And I love when then she, they're like, he's trying to like tell his mom, I was like, no, the man, you, there's nothing left of the man there. And he's in the car and he just turns off the radio. <laughs> so there's little moments where the zombies are like, wait, is there humanity left him? And I think that's a great trope in the zombie lore that is there humanity left in, you know, the, the zombified people. Which gets very dark. I didn't remember how dark, and this is again why I think Edgar Wright and Simon Pegg really try to find that balance of there's the humor, there's the action, there's the scares, but then is humanity the real true enemy? The big plot of this is they, they're aiming to get to the Winchester, which is their favorite pub, just because they think that might be barricaded, might be a safe place to kind of wait out the night. And they do know that there is at least a you know gun up against the bar. And the mom has been keeping that she was bit. And so she's about to turn. And so rightly so in that situation, knowing that there's nothing you can do unless maybe, I don't, you know, you don't know the science. Some of these movies, they can, they can remove an arm and like it saves the body, but we don't know if that's going to be the case. So David's like, we have to kill her. We have to kill her. And Sean it's this intense moment where he's like, you're not going to shoot my Mexican mother. Standoff right he's here. like, yeah. we have to do this. And, you know, it's just like a very, very intense moment. And after they do end up killing Barbara, you just see how everyone turns on David. They instantly find him a monster. Well, he gets his upcomings because he's stupid enough to go stand by the door. <laughs> um, zombies can break through windows. They may not be the fastest runners, but they can breakthrough so he gets his upcomings for being a dickhead uh but um some of the stuff in this it's just like great comedy there's a whole bit where they're in the bar and they're killing zombies to queens don't stop me now <laughs> which is iconic oh, yeah. which is which is yeah because and and to the beat i think what was so great about that it's over this extreme violent scene but it's like real happy and go lucky and it was just I know. And he's like, and it's like, what's, what's, who killed the, killed the queen? What? The jukebox. Like just a lot of that quick witted humor, but I just love it. Like, don't. And I think the fact that that came out now, 2004, that kind of re had a resurgence of, you know, queen people like of a new generation. Like, Ooh, I really like you know, I think that was like, that was almost like what Wayne's world did for me, Bohemian Rhapsody. That's how I was first introduced to queen. And then years later, this, I was like, Oh, I didn't realize this song. So the choreography in this film is so great. Just some of the and some of the stuff, and I love like this will be in a lot of the scenes. The fence jumping where he's you know, <laughs> going over to the different fences, and they always either break or this is not good at it. And just, yeah, these little tropes that they're going to continue uh, in all these films. That again, they don't connect with the same characters, but there's a lot of the same themes, plot. You know, a lot of the same. Uh, little things you pop up you're like and again you follow that they're they're teasing this idea that it's a trilogy even though it's not a sequential trilogy but overall Shaun the dead it did pretty well for being this kind of you know a little underground england indie if you will i mean it was only made for uh, let's see here it was made for like 6.1 million and made 30 million um which i mean especially for that time 2004 for this kind of small budget film but it's definitely picked up steam as a huge cult following and for being not only a funny film, but a, a great zombie film at that. And it, yeah, it's, it's been highly ranked as one of the best comedy films of all time. I think it uh, got into the 50 greatest comedy films, uh, which is pretty exciting for that. George A. Romero himself was asked by Wright to see the film. And he did. And he called Wright and said that he gave his approval. He was like, he was so impressed 
with Simon Pegg and Edgar Wright, the way that they, they did these roles. And yeah, just like he, he even then asked them to be cameo roles in 2005 Land of the Dead that Romero filmed. So yes, and I do remember seeing that and even like people like Quentin Tarantino and Stephen King have, uh, you know, praised the film. So these these high praise from some of the best directors just shows you that this this film is beloved and one that always will remain so. But they weren't done there. You know, they made one fun film and it was like, all right, what's the next genre we can tackle? How about action? <laughs> let's do the buddy cop action film. So let's take a quick break yeah. and we'll get back with Hot Fuzz. Moviegoers have been blessed with the amazing body of work from Simon Pegg, Nick Frost, and director Edgar Wright and their Cornetto trilogy. But now, we've come up with the American alternative you never knew even existed. Introducing the Good Humor Trilogy, starting with the sappiest love story and legal thriller, Legally Blind. This is a story about boy meets girl. Hi, I'm Tom. I'm a lawyer. Is that an ice cream sandwich I smell? Hello, I'm Sarah. Nice to meet you, Tom. Why, yes it is. They're my favorite. But love isn't always easy. Why are you being so difficult? You just don't see it. I object. Yes, because I'm actually blind. Then we come at you with the thrilling father and son family sports drama. Catch and release. Dad, I told you, I want nothing to do with this life. I want to go out and be a painter like Bob Ross. You are going into the family business to be a fisherman like your father and my father and his father for him. First of all, it's fisher person. And second of all, no, the angler life is not for me. And then we finish with a bang with the buddy stoner comedy sci-fi action film, Kick the Space Bucket. Oh, to be young again. There's so many things I've yet to do. Yeah, like interstellar space travel. Yeah. Wait, what? Where we are going, age is just a number, man. Let's get spaced. The Good Humor Trilogy, directed by Alex Wrong. Owning on DVD, Blu-ray, or streaming on demand now. And we're back. Yes, we are. So, I mean, to to tackle such a great, um, you know, horror film and also having that romantic comedy element, let's go like a completely different direction. And Edgar Wright, I think, was flawless in this. And at this point, when I saw this movie years later, Hot Fuzz, did not realize that it connected to. I just knew, oh, it's from the same creators. But, you know, this would be the start of this great kind of anthology series. And that is tackling of the buddy cop and the action genre. Uh, that, you know, from from all walks of life, from the 80s, the 90s to today. And Hot Fuzz, I was really, I liked the fact that this was so perfectly emulating what those films are all about. And you get that lone hero and the whole standoff. And then just really adding to the, the creep factor, because it also has a bit of this, yes, it's a buddy cop film, but there's also that underlying sinisterness where it kind of has like that slasher film uh, thing. <laughs> It's like a horror slasher film, like Scream or something, a lot of this film. This is my favorite of the three. It's the one I've seen the most. Um, I remember seeing this for the first time in theaters with my dad and I think my brothers. And this film is, it's like a perfect combo of 
it is hilarious. It does have great action. It is a compelling story. And it does, yeah, it does have the scary kind of more of that horror side of like a slasher film. But Hot Fuzz, so once again, Edgar Wright, Simon Pegg wrote this and Edgar Wright back directing. Simon Pegg plays this policeman named Nicholas Angel. And he's apparently the best. He has like the best record in London. He is like uh, brought in the most, you know, uh, convicts and like all this. He's just like really, really good at his job. Well, I guess he's too good at his job. So he's actually sent away to be a constable for this small town where there's essentially no crime. At least that's what he thinks. Yeah. And he starts to realize that uh, the small town, Sanford, Gloucestershire, uh, there's a lot more there than meets the eye. Uh, he starts to feel that there's something underfoot. And it's a great, it's a great plot because you have this guy who would kind of typically, he loves the job so much he gets so invested in it. And he's never really had that time to relax, time to, you know, there's a great little cameo of Kate Blanchett as like a potential ex-girlfriend yeah, and miss she's it. moved on. Blanking you missed it, which is a, a, definitely a thing with Edgar Wright. So you get an idea that he's so on the job that he needs someone to kind of teach him how to relax. And that's where we get Nick Frost in here as kind of the, again, he's like a, he's a younger officer who is obsessed with buddy cop films and kind of like us, pop culture and stuff, playing Danny Butterman and his father, Frank Butterman, played by Jim Broadbent, is the police inspector at Sanford. So he's the one running the, the police uh, division there. And you see this kind of like the first time he meets him, he's stumbling drunk out of the pub trying to drive a car. And he almost ends up hitting Nicholas Angel. And then he arrests him, takes him in. And the next morning he's like, where's that perp that I brought in? And then he turns and there he is in full police uniform. And he's like, good morning. And they end up giving him cake, which is like a funny thing of how like every time someone does anything wrong, we, everyone yeah, like forgives to... everyone and just yeah. has the cake. <laughs> oh, we got... Do you like chocolate ice cream? <laughs> you start to see that this group has a, they run things much differently than what Nicholas Angel is used to. So that already is a little off-putting for him. And he's starting to see that this town works a little differently. There's a bit of a ease to everything. There's like, you know, a bunch of these definitely young teenagers are in the pub drinking when they shouldn't be. And you just see like, oh, it's okay. They're just teenagers. And he goes, and how old are you? Uh, 37, get out. I love that one scene when he like says it, the kid's like, oh, makes yeah. this, like weird the noise. Braces. Yeah. And, uh, so there's all, and I love that there's always these little punk kids here. And, uh, but, uh, yeah. And then it's like, oh, his first night before he's on the job, he's already like, but everyone just so blase. So, but people are a little weird too. Like they're like too nice. Like you get this, like, and then these weird references, like I love when we first get to meet, you know, our, uh. One of our favorites, I think probably one of the highlights of this film for me has got to be Timothy Dalton, T. Dalt, as Mr. Skinner. Brilliant. And Brilliant. I just like, lock me up. What? And he's like, I'm a slasher. A what? Slasher of prices. And he runs off. It's like, and and even like when he comes into the, the they play on this whole thing like everybody's a, everyone's a suspect and they really are. Like when he even comes into the inn and he's like, he, and he's like, Oh, hack. And she's like, what? And they're like, so when they're talking about the crossword puzzle, so there's just these really good, like, little moments, like, oh my God. Oh, oh. So 
it's ever but yeah i really like that and the fact that now he's like something's weird because there's a lot of these ridiculously gory and we got to emphasize the gore here accidents but no no uh, murders it's very weird there's never been a murder here in 25 years or something like that this is where we start to get that there's something going on and we start to meet yeah all these characters that are like the elder characters that kind of run different divisions of the town and they have this this group that they meet and you know and the things that they bring up are like the dumbest things like uh like oh we need to look out for that guy that that does um he's all you know painted gold and he's the robot that's trying to make money on the street uh, i'm into him again and then like those hooligans with the with the you know the spray paint so like it's like small crime they're looking after but we start to have these murders happen these murders are very very gory uh most notably the one that, that is still like it's so over the top hilarious but it's like so gross is uh the the reporter guy that <laughs> gets a chunk of this like it's like way up in this like bell tower and this big spike this big like rock spike comes off and just like like exactly goes into his head yeah and impales, and him. impales him and it's just like ridiculous <laughs> it's a just ridiculous scene but it's, i mean it's hilarious but yeah, apart from Timothy Dalton, there are there's some big names in this film. Absolutely. That whether they were whether they were big names then or are big names now, I mean, Patty Considine and like I said earlier, Rafe Spall, who you know Rafe being a, a regular in some of these, and Patty would be also in the next film. They play the two Andys, so they're both named Andy. Uh, these uh, detectives, and they're just like total like rude you know like kind of frat boys that like keep making fun of our nicholas angel but i mean you got olivia coleman in here as doris thatcher who's gone off to huge things and then we have people like paul freeman who we love in uh, raiders of the lost ark is the reverend <laughs> Belloc. In this film. Belloc. Belloc is in this which you're like how how crazy is that? Other other names that again small cameos, which I do love that we can get these. Bill Nye playing the chief inspector in the very beginning, in the end. Uh, Steve I Coogan. Mean, Steve Coogan, as the and, uh, inspector, Martin, and then yeah, Martin, Martin Freeman. Freeman. <laughs> uh, you have Stephen Merchant is in here, uh, the one who's uh, <laughs> his name is Peter Ian Staker, and he's like P.I. Staker, and he's like Piss Taker. Yeah. So sorry, Mr. Staker, and he's looking for the swans. Yeah, there's always a swan thing going on. <laughs> it's great. We have a young Rory McCann who plays, really his name's Lurch kind of character, who would go on to, of course, uh, great, great acclaim as Clegane in Game of Thrones, The Hound. Yes. David Bradley is in here as a bit. He's a farmer, uh, which is a hilarious scene where they're like going up to investigate and he has this huge uh, <laughs> warehouse of like, random guns and stuff and a including sea mine. a sea, sea mine, mine. <laughs> who we of course know from harry potter playing filch and in game of thrones as walter frey which we all hate in that Stuart wilson plays the town's doctor and he's been in a ton of movies but i always remember him as he was the bad guy in the mass of zorro uh he was don Raphael. remember that he was one that uh Tending to be the father of Catherine Zeta-Jones' character. And yeah, which is a great film. We should get to those horror movies someday. But anyway, okay. So there's a ton of actors in this. We can't name them all because there's too many in Hot Fuzz. But we start to get the idea that there is something going on and these murders start to happen. And Nicholas Angel 
starts to get his, you know, friend Danny to really start to go along with, okay, there's something bigger than just that. There's all these murders. You have these two actor characters who uh, they go and do Romeo and Juliet. And then the next day they're found, their heads are literally on the, <laughs> the street. And the day before they had been found speeding. So then you see like, like Skinner drives by and he's like, never has there been more woe than the tale of Romeo and you know, Juliet and her Romeo. And they're like, what was that? And he's like, he's like, the two of them, such a tragedy. Uh, and like all these kind of puns in a way of how they bring up what happens every time someone dies. There's just this skeeviness, this like sliminess to how the town reacts. And it eventually leads to this great scene where after all these different things happen and claiming it's this and this, you find out that there is this dark underground society of this town led by Jim Broadbent, that the inspector is actually the one that is like the leader of the whole thing. And that whenever someone goes against the town, these, these, you know, elders have killed them off. And it's like, well, it's like dark secrets. Right? Again, like, I love how this whole film sets up this village that doesn't really have a lot of crime in it. And yet there is like <laughs> the biggest thing going on uh, here at all. And again, there's like a lot of humorous tropes in here of, you know, the buddy cop genre, which then leads to the last hour or well, I guess the last 30 minutes where Simon Pegg's character decides, you know what, screw it. I'm just going to go boss the wall. And he's like in a convenience shop and he sees, you know, like point break and lethal weapon. And he sees all these buddy cop films and he's like, that's it. And he just, he like, it, something clicks in him. He's like, all right, that's it. Screw it. And so he, goes and gets all the weapons from the armory. And there, I love, we got to bring up a little bit of the guy that works kind of like the reception desk, I guess you can say, at the police station. And there's, you know, they don't tell me nothing. And you think that there's, there's one guy that either he looks really nice, looks disheveled, and then you see that he actually has a twin brother that walks behind him. Yeah. <laughs> so he's like, oh, there's two of them. But he grabs all this weapons and he ends up meeting up with, Danny and he's like all right we're gonna just gonna do what we gotta do so not not to go out to kill these people but he's like we gotta do this the hard way we're gonna do it the, the hard way the sheriff coming back to town to wrangle up the bad guys yeah so it's it's really amazing just awesome balls to the wall action um through, throughout the rest of it and you know talking about like what great special effects and all these really good moments and um I just really, it's such a, such a change then from Shaun of the Dead. There was someone action. This is like pretty, pretty awesome. It makes like, you know, Nick Frost and Simon Pegg could do this. It was really great seeing that. And, you know, talking about all the special effects that went into it, um, that, you know, all these, you know, high octane like things, a lot of, a lot of effects and stuff and work went back into, you know, post to, to put all in there. But I do love that, you know, again, you know, some of the Cornetto, we got a reference that, you know, I love when every time they're on the case and they think about something, they're eating their little ice creams in the car. They're like, whenever he has an idea, it's like, hmm. Well, even like the the, the fence jumping, you know, that oh, is Oh, yeah, a, and, and talking about that, they just make fun of it so much where uh, apparently Simon Pegg, who does the three, he does the three on his own, and he does Sentinel does a flip, and, you know, yeah. then Nick Frost has, it, doesn't do it, he just runs into the fence. <laughs> but in the scene, he looks back at the camera because they said, I wanted them to know it was me. I did that stunt. I literally ran through the, you know. So It's like, so funny. And he says, you know, what's the matter? Never taken a shortcut before. So it just, that's a great um, gag that they, they bring back for this one that I was just, I, when 
it's just it, it does a great job where it's not so much a parody or a spoof it's just like kind of an ode to those films where he makes fun of his uh, own homage, films. yeah yeah mm-hmm. and but he's like we love these films and that's why like just like references to point break and bad boys too and it just <laughs> so yeah I, lo- I love at the end when uh, you know they they go through the town they go through the street they go through the pub they go through the convenience shop they go through the grocery store this whole thing of taking down all of these elders that are running the town and just one by one, you know, these great action sequences where they're really uh, getting all the tropes of like, you know, the two cops, you know, diving to the side and shooting. And it leads to this point where they're at this, I love how this, there's a small little like mini village, like, you know, like a, a model of the town. And this is where like the final, uh, you know, fight happens and Skinner is fighting Nicholas Angel. And they so I always think this is so funny, even though it's like, man, that must hurt so bad. At one point, Skinner's coming at him with a knife and he he slips on a small toy truck and he literally falls. And a point of this model, what looks like the church, goes right through the bottom of his chin up through his mouth. So it doesn't kill him, obviously. And he's just like, ow. I was crazy. And it's a great kind of callback to where the other guy got impaled. So I was like, well, yeah. you know. <laughs> but um, Broadbent's character is running away. And, you know, obviously after this whole thing and the drama and thinking like, you know, there's a big plot point of that. His mom, he was told maybe was, you know, killed through a car crash. Maybe she wasn't. Maybe she was killed because she was going against the town. So he's like aiming his gun right at his dad. And he's like, and he just can't do it. So just like point break. He leaps the sky and boom, 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 you know, shoots the sky. And even like at the end, there's a point where they think they've gotten everybody um, and they're back in the station. They're celebrating. And then the one guy that watches all the cameras comes out and he's about to shoot Nicholas Angel. And who comes to his rescue? But his friend Danny, who does the whole slow mo. I know. Takes like, the I'll dive in front him. of you. Yeah, exactly. But then it gets and then the ridiculous of then Nicholas Angel, he. He takes his foot, he gets a trash can, knocks the guy back, and then he gets stuck in the armorer, and then the sea mine falls on him. He's like, oh, God, no. And then the whole place explodes. <laughs> Very much a trope of the action genre. So it just went from, like, it just, like, the whole, that last 30 minutes just constantly increases, increases. And it really is some brilliant, brilliant action. And I love how the movie ends with the two of them, you know, seemingly being like, all right, well, now that that's all, you know, all these bad guys are now going to be in jail and it's now back to like small petty crime, but they're taking it as if it is full force action cop hero. Like they're like, we're on it. And they like do like a full 180, like, like with the yeah. car and then it's like, dunk, 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 <laughs> hot fuzz. It's so funny. And a brilliant movie. Um, this one did the best of the three financially. Had a bit of a bigger budget, which obviously there's a lot of actors in this. It was uh, a budget of 12 million and it grossed about 80 million worldwide. So it did pretty well uh, off of that. So yeah, Hot Fuzz, just a great film if you've never seen it. So, but they weren't done there. You know, it's a really trilogy. You have to have a third film and they'd be back a few years later with The World's End. So we will be right back with The World's End. Let's get a pint. And now, for another edition of Great Moments in Bar History. 
I say, dear fellows, I found myself quite parched. Do you fancy a stroll for liquid refreshment? Indeed, good man. But is one establishment enough? We almost ran the golden bassoon dry a fortnight ago. Are you suggesting we move our party from one place to the next after having our fill? Quite. We could extend the evening through the late hours by hitting multiple bars in one single evening. It does raise one question, though. After an evening of several refreshments, we may not have full use of our legs, as a gentleman does at the beginning of the night. True, true. Why, after several drinks, we may end up on all fours like a baby. So we go from one place to place, and as the night ends, we end up crawling. I've got it! We shall dub this quest the Pub Crawl! Brilliant! Let us be off then, man, for a golden ale awaits. And thus the pub crawl was invented. This has been another edition of Great Moments in Bar History. All right, Taylor, we are back to talk about the third and final film of the Cornetto Flavors trilogy, The World's End, which came out in summer of 2013. Once again, as I said, Edgar Wright directing with Simon Pegg and Edgar Wright writing this one. This one's a really fun plot. I think this might be, uh, uh, in terms of sci-fi and in terms of what you don't expect, it comes really in the second half of the film. There's some fun twists and turns in this, but a lot of mainstays come back. Simon Pegg, Nick Frost back as the leads, but we have a lot of our familiars back with some new faces, but mostly uh, our, our usuals. But what do you think about this film? I actually remember when we were on the Celebrity Century. At this point, I think you had just left on the contract. You would have been gone in July, I believe. I would have, yeah. I actually left the day before my birthday. It would have been in June. So this June, would yeah. just come out. It would come out that so, year, though. Tears. I had not seen Taylor for years. Uh, but at that <laughs> point, I remember going and seeing this in Vancouver with some friends, and we had a port day. Uh, actually around my birthday, I believe. And uh, I just love this film. I think it's a lot of fun. So what do you think about this, The World's End? I think, you know, just when I thought it couldn't get better, when I heard that they were going to make this one, I was ecstatic. When I saw this one, I was just kind of amazed how, like of all the films, it's very, very snappy dialogue. This one is like, you have to really pay attention. And I think... Of all the roles that Simon Pegg has played in these films, this has got to be one of my favorites because he is just going going for broke. It's such a different character to his other ones. And I just love the the humor is so quick. Like, you know, when I first saw the trailer, I was thinking, oh, man, all the good parts of the movie. No, it was just like there's so many great scenes um, of this humor and the character he plays. I just, I love that. And I really, it really has a great theme about this you know, these these friends kind of come back together. And, you know, really it's the the main character Simon plays is really just a sad character. I mean, he's uh, he's in, you know, 40s. He's now he's alcoholic. He has really no one. And so for for him, this is kind of like I need my pals. I need my friends again. Of course, they've all kind of moved on with their lives and like we're not going to go back to the old town. And, you know, it does play with the kind of the the parody of stuff like Oh, come back here. Nothing ever changes, which, of course, we know something's going on. Uh, but I think these getting all these these actors back for these characters was just perfect. Of course, Peg Frost, but we get uh, Patty Cossadine and Martin Freeman and Eddie Mar- Marzen. Uh, 
all all just greats in their roles of playing these you know estranged friends and then we get the gorgeous and amazingly talented Rosamund Pike uh, as the sister of one of the characters and of course they're rivaling for her affections years later it's just got that also great bit of uh tribute to the teen dramas of the 80s or some a lot of those movies where the getting the band back together like you think of blues brothers uh you think of you know all those films where they felt like grown-ups so i think that it does play into that really great you know comedy element uh of that nostalgia i think that's a huge part of nostalgia in this film and also these films the whole trilogy has a lot to do with a pub that's a big part of just British culture period, you know, in the UK is pub, pub nature, you know, after work, going to the pub, having some beers. Uh, and so this idea of the golden mile, these 12 pubs that if you hit all 12, just to think of the pride you would feel of, I made it through a night of having 12 beers, which for some isn't that much for some, it's a lot. And for the, some of those, not a much, that's probably you know, a problem. Um, yeah. <laughs> But, you know, to think that they they tried this when they were younger, they did not finish it. And then we, we flash to Simon Pegg being, you know, Gary King at the current age he is. He's in an AA meeting and he's like, that was the best night of my life. And they're like, and the one guy's like, yeah, but you never made it. And he's like, you didn't finish the golden mile. And instantly it clicks in his head that like, I need to do this. There's something about it. And what I like about this film is because his name is Gary King, and this really ties into when we get to, and we'll talk about the ending. There is this quest nature to this as well. It's like, we, we never they... finished the quest. The Arthurian you know, legend and obviously Gary King, you know, his name's Gary. The, the fact that he keeps calling, you know, I'm the king and there's only one king. And he really, he's like so diehard to finish this quest that he's like, we have to do this. And then, of course, when it opens up to what happens in the middle of the movie and on, it, it just it's it's just like a fun ball of like craziness. But I love how he gets the, the guys back. They are like, all right, we're going to actually do this. And they're all hesitant. And then they, <laughs> I love when they get to the first pub and they're like, all right, uh, like, what are you going to do tonight? And this monologue that Simon Pegg had to memorize is brilliant. He's like. We'll be starting off in a quest. We'll be going to this bar, and he like the and words we'll be he having says of the liquid variety. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and we will be blind, drunk. That is like this whole monologue he says is so brilliant. I wonder how many times he had to do that because it must have been difficult. But I love they get to the first pub. So you have these five friends that were you know very tight back in like high school days, and first time they've seen really some of them in years, and they're like, all right, I guess we'll go out for one night of drink. And he's like five of your finest you know pints my friend and he's like actually four and one water and he's like what and realize that nick frost character andy does not drink anymore and you get the sense that there's a backstory of like he's like i don't drink anymore because of something that you did and that's again something i think about this film is the plot gets very crazy once we get into the middle of the film and we'll talk about that just in a minute here but it is so much about this film even more than hot fuzz and more than Shaun of the dead that really keeps bringing in the humanity element of these characters and their backstories and how they are still connected as friends. Like there's a really sad moment where Eddie Marsden's character, Peter Page, you kind of get the sense that he was kind of one of the goofy ones of the gang, but he was definitely someone that was picked on a lot in school. 
going back to the old town, he actually sees his old bully comes up and he's like, is that chair free? And he's like, oh yeah, go ahead. And it's this really great kind of mini monologue where he's like, you know what is the worst part? He's like, it's not that he punched me and put me in lockers and made me miss more days of school and made me miserable. It's that he didn't even recognize me. He didn't even know my name. Stuff like that where you're like, this is a movie that's a sci-fi movie with like a lot of humor in it, but you have these moments where they really pick in a little bit of humanity. Very, very serious moments, yeah. And I love that they incorporate that into this film. But as the film goes along, you start to get the sense that, okay, they're starting to get these drinks going. Again, uh, Nick Frost's character is not having drinks and they're just going from pub to pub and Gary is just having the time of his life. He is like a child at a carnival. He's just so giddy. And I love also this outfit he has. He's like this long kind of black trench coat that he wears. He's got this black dyed black this hair. This black dyed hair. Um, and he's got all these rings and stuff. He's just, you know, loving life. But then they start to notice that there's these like punk kids are kind of around and they don't really, they don't really talk. They don't really make any noise. There's something kind of like, we see a theme here in all these films. Something isn't what it seems. Gary King's in the bathroom at one point. And, you know, this is a character that really lives for the old days. And so he starts to get the sense that his friends are abandoning him because a lot of stuff is coming up. You know, he's someone that lies a lot. He lies a lot. He, you know, at one point he even lies that his mom's dead. Definitely his mom's not dead. And he's trying to like maybe have these young kids join him. He's like, you know, we're doing the Golden Mile. If you want to join me, that'd be great because my friends are you know, doing it. And the kid just doesn't talk to him. And he starts to get a little, you know, he's a little drunk by that point. He's getting a little pissed. And so he's like, you know, hey, dude, you know, look at me and I'm talking to you. And then this kid just starts to like, almost looks like a robot attacking him. <laughs> I just love this shot. This is where like, again, the humor of the blood gore, but it's not going to be blood. It's going to be what we find out is blue blood. This shot of Simon Pegg grabbing this kid basically by the neck and like launching himself as he's fighting them. And he dunks him onto the bathroom sink and his head pops off. <laughs> And blue blood goes everywhere. And you realize, oh, this dude's a robot. <laughs> You're like, or something like that. And then all the friends come in and are like, you lied about your mom. And he's like, the guy's head popped off. The humor of like, they're so angry at him. Oh, yeah. and he's like, the guy's head popped off. And then the fight scenes start. And this movie, just like with Hot Fuzz, has some awesome, really tight-knit action sequences of you find out that there's a bunch of these alien robots and they're fighting them. And this happens. And then the rest of the movie just goes into bonkersville. This is where like, it's the buddy film about let's go back, relive our memories and childhoods. And then it gets just crazy. I love this whole theme of the, you know, invasion of the body snatchers, because then we, we get this really like creepy sense that no wonder everyone's acting all weird is because, you know, everyone's been placed by a robot. So you have all that going on. And, um, we get this great, it's very, the whole, then these alien beings like called the network, which is great because, hey, we get Bill Nye back, he voices the network, which is great. Um, I like the idea that what Edgar Wright want to do with this is like, you know, these heroes are saving the world, but they're pretty much hammered while they're doing it. Because at the very end, uh, <laughs> Nick Frost, it's not a big character, you know, they're both, you know, Nick Frost character's back on the wagon because he didn't drink the whole time. And he's like, okay, it's time to drink. And he does like five shots in a row. He just like 
takes them all and he's like all right we're doing this well he's like i gotta catch up it's like when you're in college like i gotta catch up to you guys i get i need to get on your level so it's like so i really like and at the very end when they have this argument with this this alien entity and they're both hammered it's like the the fate of the world is on these two people that are totally shish kebobbed yeah the idiots that should not be the one uh you know making peace and like it's all right to do what we want because we're humans and yeah, you get, I, I love that as the, the movie goes, goes along, there's a many more robots and they start to get the idea that you can actually be copied and they can take you and make you into one of these robots and it's going to look exactly like you. And as the, as the movie starts to get, get to that point in your brain, you notice that Martin Freeman's character is a lot more friendly and just like acting very like, we need to get to the next pub, we need to do this. So obviously catching on that he actually is, um, you know, a, a robot himself. And the, you know, a lot of these great action sequences where they, you know, they're grabbing arms of the robots and hitting them in the head and just like constant fight scenes. And there's a lot of good stuff in here. And it all kind of, yeah, trickles into then we, we meet Pierce Brosnan again. And Pierce Brosnan, in the beginning, we get that he's one of Gary's favorite teachers. And he's actually like one of the like, I guess, like second in command of, of this, this alien nation that is like taking over this, this whole place. And you get like, I love when they get to like the the big kind of like headquarters, I guess you can say, uh, where like all these robots are made and they're talking to the network. They're like, we're here to like recalibrate and like restart this planet because right now of all the planets, you guys are the lowest of the totem pole of any galaxy because of how you guys are running this planet. And, and just the humor, yes, of them drunk and being like, well, psh- we're going to do what we want because we're humans. Like, who cares? And there's some dark moments, too, in the end when, you know, a lot of, again, Simon Pegg and Nick Frost to see how far they've come as actors and how brilliant they are with not only humor, but a lot of these really deep emotional scenes. And they're fighting each other. And they're like, why would you, why did you, you know, you never, what happened with you? You know, you need help, Gary. And then it's revealed that, you know, show me your arms, show me your arms. And then it's revealed that he has, he, he, tried to commit suicide and that's why he ended up probably getting uh, help and getting to AA and just the obsession again the quest element of needing to finish this quest and getting to I love how they get to the world's end the 12th pub and he tries to pour a beer and then like that's the headquarters that's like mothership of the, the alien it's like the thing starts to like duck down but all that to say that they, you know, they get this whole, the aliens leave and it's like, all right, you're going to be left to your own devices and you know, what's going to happen, it's going to happen. The way that this film ends is one that I almost wish we would have gotten a sequel for. Yeah. Because it's so, it's so cool for me. So we get a little voiceover from Andy. I went back with my, my wife and, you know, everyone after they left was kind of, you know, he's, he's kind of talking about like the, the ones that are still robots. They've kind of been actually finding ways to, you know, just survive and they, you know, be programmed again. And he's like, but you know, with Gary, I never saw Gary King after that. And I don't know where, you know, so it's like, it's like apocalypse time. We're kind of getting like a little bit of almost Mad Max vibe that all that's left is probably very minimal food resources and water. Then we get this final pub scene and all these guys have weird face paint and, you know, war paint and, this character walks in with these four young robots we kind of recognize from the the town. He's like, five waters, please. And it's like, we don't serve 
androids here. You don't, we don't serve that kind. He's like, yeah, very, very Star Wars reference. Very there. Star Wars, right? And then he pulls down, and it's Gary King, and he actually has this blade. And he's like, um, I think you're gonna disturb me five waters. And like, who the hell are you? And he's like, I'm the king. I love how he pulls out his sword, and then the robots like turn their blue lights on. And he's yeah. like, <gasps> I'm the king. <gasps> and then the movie ends, and you're like, yeah. Oh, come on, like. So a great setup of maybe his destiny was always going to be fulfilled. He just never knew it, you know, and, and a lot of this being the legacy film of him, his life didn't turn out the way it was. And he was like, that was the best night of my life was that night, that time. And it never got better. It never got better. And maybe now it's got better for Gary King. So a fun film. I think it's a fun plot. It's got the sci-fi definitely has action, a little bit of the creepy element and great humor in it, but a lot of heart to it. That had a budget of 20 million. It did all right, 46 million overall. So it didn't make a ton of money. And that's the thing about these films is, I don't know if it's just the market or you know, with American audiences, especially British audiences, these aren't films that do like supreme, these, these aren't you know Avengers numbers, but they're a set of films that are very beloved. And the humor, that directing style that Edgar does so well, having these great action sequences, tackling again, the you have horror, buddy cop, sci-fi, romance, humanity, humor, and these little tropes of, again, like, I love it in, um, in The World's End. Again, there's a moment where they want to try to jump over a fence and the whole fence falls, you know, like, again, following these little tropes that they do that, and, and, and the Cornette ice cream, right at the end, uh, the apocalypse happens and you see at one point a little, Cornetto ice cream um, wrapper goes right up against to where Andy is and he, he wants it, but it then flies away. So just brilliant little things. And, you know, obviously they went on to do other films and Edgar Wright has done plenty of films himself and Simon Pegg to great acclaim, you know, getting into Star Trek and all of the things and, and Nick Frost himself, they've, they've done buddy films, not directed by Edgar Wright, but just a pair that will continue to be beloved for not only as a pair, but what they've done individually. But, these are three films I always look back on and whenever I can pop in and watch, they're just, they're a good time. So I love, I love me the three flavors Cornetto trilogy. What about you, Taylor? Well, I got to give you a couple shout outs here. First of all, we talked about Cornetto trilogy refers to all the reference of Cornetto ice cream in the films. Uh, fun fact about that. One is Edgar Wright has said Cornetto was a uh, hangover cure. He would always have after a long night of drinking and each Cornetto flavor references the film. So the first one was strawberry flavored, Shaun of the Shaun Dead, the, Blood. Yeah. Uh, the gory, you know, elements. And Hot Fuzz was blue, the police element. And then you have the third one, Green Mint Chocolate Chip, referring to Little Green Men or science fiction with the alien one. So kind of a little fun uh, reference there. And uh, I just got to... Uh, to finalize this, I got to give a shout out to Edgar Wright's direction and film style, which we'll see in a lot of his films. But these ones really highlighted some of these quick action shots of like when you're you know filling up a beverage or you know these quick uh quick changes it's just such a unique style and the sound effects of just hearing everything from like the brushing of the teeth to drop in the tooth you know the flush in the toilet so these little like quick uh shot changes and the music choices it's just really a very unique style and i just love seeing Edgar wright's uh, influence i can't wait to see more what he would do and I hope that I know this trilogy, he rounded this out with all these themes and these performers, but I would love to see him, Nick Frost and Simon Pegg, and even other of these uh, performers to reunite. 
uh, to something. Yeah, it'd be fun to see them try something new, uh, tackle other genres they haven't done so far, or continue maybe do a sequel to some of these characters because there's still more that we would love to see from all of them. So thank you for listening today to our chat about the Three Flavors Cornetto Trilogy. All of those I'm sure you can find either streaming somewhere or you can have them on video on demand or as always DVD slash Blu-ray. But uh, happy November and we can't wait to be with you guys next week. And just so you know, uh, this is the final month of season two full episodes. So uh, we still have a few more, but we will be having episodes all the way through the end of November. And then we'll continue our reviews as we get through the rest of the year as we take more of a, a break from full episodes. But Stay tuned. We got more season two coming your way here on The Potential Podcast. Thanks for listening to The Potential Podcast. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at The Potential Podcast or on Twitter at The Potential Pod. Or you can email us. Send us your positive feedback and thoughts, suggestions, and more through our email, thepotentialpodcast at yahoo.com. I'm your host, Chris Dewar. And I'm your host, Taylor Sokol. Stay tuned for more episodes on pop culture, entertainment, and nerdum. And remember, know, know your, your potential. potential.